right, everybody. Will here with this week's interview chair. This week, we have Mr. Richard Powell. Sit back and enjoy Richard for an hour. Hi, everybody. Today on the interview chair, I have dear friend Richard Powell. How are you, Richard? Hey, Will. I'm great. Good, good to see you. Fresh off your judging the group in New York and the, the Terrier group. How was that before we get started? It was terrifying. <laughs> How so? <laughs> well, um, you look you look poised and perfect out there. Well, you know, I they've stuffed all these wires down my rear end, and it was so uncomfortable. I felt that my pants were going to fall down. So a lot of people <laughs> say, "What were you trying to do?" And I said, "I'm just trying to make sure my pants didn't fall off during fall down during the group at the garden for everyone to see." <laughs> that would have been memorable. <laughs> right. That would have been some memory that. that nobody really needed. <laughs> That's hilarious. I didn't know that was happening. So they, I guess oh, I guess they have to wire you up. So Yeah, but they they stuck all these wires down and sort of sort of pushed my underwear down. It was just a, it was just a very strange thing. So. <laughs> I don't know why no one else seemed to have that problem, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> But overall, how was the experience? It was great. It was, um, you know, I, I've been there once before and I did the breeds and I loved that. And um, when they, you know, the letter came to do the group, I was totally shocked. And um, I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And my wife said, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Why would you, why would you not want to do that? <laughs> well, because of the pressures and uh, everything i mean i you know just i had to pressure you into this <laughs> you did but i'm just not the sort of person that that goes looking for attention or anything like that so i don't know i uh, i was worried about it but actually you know as soon as the dogs came in the ring i did really feel differently and i really was quite um happy to just sort of get into it and um and uh, in, enjoy the task. Well, you look great out there. You, you look comfortable. You look. You knew exactly what you wanted. It was it was great. I thought so. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, you know, the biggest problem. Biggest problem was just to try and figure out just just bring in eight. They they sort of said that you could bring in as many as you want, but please don't bring more than eight. Well, um, <laughs> as many know, as you want, but no more than this. Right. <laughs> there were some dogs in there that I. A lot of a lot more dogs that I would have liked to be included, but you just can't do it. You just got to do it quickly, and you've got to just say, "Well, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one," and then you just narrow it down to the four that um, that you think are the best on that day. Yeah, and yeah. it actually went pretty smoothly. But um, I was I was sort of um, hesitant, but as I say, in the end, I did enjoy it. I looked like you enjoyed it. You look, you look, and like I said, you look great out there. So. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, let's get started. Um, I want to know everything, Richard. I want to know, tell me how you got started in the sport of dogs. Well, I, I was very young. My grandfather bred Springers and Labradors. Um, he was a gamekeeper and I always had the best time with him. And, and where again, was this? It was in England in Suffolk on the East coast. Suffolk, okay. And, um, and so, uh, but I was always really fascinated by show dogs, and he had no time for show dogs. But um, 
I was always really fascinated by the by the dog shows. And so there was a lady in the village that bred English cockers. And I got involved with her, and she would take me to dog shows. And um, actually, it was sort of tricky because I was asthmatic. And because I got so excited at the thought of going to a dog show, I would have an asthma attack. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oftentimes, this sort of uh, prevented me from going. So what they did in the end, between my parents and her, this, this wonderful lady, they just kept it a secret until the morning of the show, and then she would drive up, and I would just go with her. And um, we had the we had some great times. And I got into junior showmanship. She gave me a bitch. Now, and I realize now that her dogs were not the greatest in the world. And Cocker Spaniels at that time, you know, um, when I was around 16, 17, I mean, it was the heyday of Cocker Spaniels in England. I mean, they were huge, huge kennels, huge classes. And, you know, to win anything at all, you had to bring in the breed at least 30 years, and you had to have something really, really good. So I, I think they were not particularly competitive. They were at least in championship shows. So eventually I did get to know another lady who had really good ones. Um, her name was Miss Allen, and she had the trustless kennel, and she had beautiful English cockers. Well, I went down there one day. I don't know if I went down to breed a bitch or to buy something. I, I can't remember. But I went down there, and I was – Fascinated, really, by her English setters. They were beautiful. And I realized then that that's where my heart was. And I, instead of buying an English cocker that day or breeding one, I can't remember what it was, but instead of doing that, she had this beautiful blue bitch that I said, would you consider selling her? And she said, oh, sure. She wasn't really as interested in the English setters as the cockers, and, and she just bred them because she liked them. So I took her home and unfortunately lost her to December. Oh, geez. That was, um, I mean, we're going back a long time. <laughs> How old you know? were you then, Richard? Well, I was probably 16 or 17, you know. But How I really. was the bitch when you got her? I bought her, she was about six months. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I so I realized that I wanted to get to know more about sporting dogs and. Um, and show dogs. And so I worked for these wonderful people called um, Bilton. And she had a, a huge kennel, a variety kennel, but her favorites were black and tans. Um, anything in black and tan she really loved. Magisters, Welsh Terriers, Gordon Setters, Archangel Pigeons. She had everything black and tan. She, but she had other things as well. We had this beautiful Borzoi dog. Um, she had a lot of really good dogs. And she I found out later, owned the English setter, Mice and Mustard, who Royal Dalton has um, modeled their dog on. Oh, wow. Yeah, she actually owned that dog. I mean, we're going back a long time, obviously, because the Daltons were made in the 30s, and she was by this time an old lady, but terribly knowledgeable. And not only she and her husband were great to me, great to work for, they took me in as a family. I mean, they hardly paid me anything, but I, I got to work on these wonderful dogs, and the most the most exciting thing was she or they lived in the middle of England in Stratford on Avon, and just down the road was Joe Braddon and Gwen Broadley, and so they would meet all the time socially, 
and I could be included. I was included a lot of times for dinners and meetings, and they would come over to the house. And as I said, they treat me, treated me like family. They didn't kick me out just as I was a, as I was a cowboy. So I learned an awful lot for from sure. Joe Braddon and Gwen Broadling and those people. And I really got to learn a lot about sporting dogs. Ben Brody not only was famous for a Labrador, but she had champion black coats, springers. Oh, and springers. Wow. Oh, yeah. She had a lot of a lot of champions earlier on. In the end, she just had Labradors. But, I mean, she had a lot. She was terribly, terribly knowledgeable. And, of course, we all know Joe. I mean, uh, he was a great character and uh, a great fiddler, but he was a he was a great dog man. Probably the best dog man I've ever known. Really? Wow. Well, I think probably he and Rick, and Michael Dackler, you know, I think are the three dog people I would I would say unhesitatingly, you know, let me give you a hundred bucks and go buy me something. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Maybe a thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, five, maybe five these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What would we get for a thousand bucks? Yeah, really. So how long did you work there? Quite a while. I was there for quite a while. And I really wanted to get into terriers, you know. I mean, I love the sporting dogs, and I, and I always will. That's probably where my heart is. But I really wanted to learn how to do terriers. But it was very difficult in England to um, to um, get with a handler. Not like it is here. The handlers there just simply couldn't afford help. And they just did it on their own. And um, I knew a lot of them. I got to know a lot of them. But I mean, none of them would could, could take you in to help because they really – couldn't afford it. But I did work for this lady who had the most beautiful kennel of Airedales. So it was called Sickaway. And she had an incredible kennel of Airedales. I mean, just beautiful. She was the most awful woman to work for and horrible. But I did put up with it for a while. And Denise Barney, who worked for, um, sorry, who bred that great who came here, the, uh, Lincoln. She also oh, worked there about the same time, and so did Rodney Oldham, who judged the, um, what uh, what was the, not the non-sporting group of Crufts this year, the uh, utility group. Rodney Oldham also worked there about the same time as me. Well, I really um, couldn't stand it. Now, this woman bred beautiful dogs. Um, she also had the top-winning curly-coated retriever, which I used to groom and slept in my room. She was the record holder. I think she got 56 cc's. But anyway, her Airedales were so good. She bred Riverina Tweezbound, who went best in show at Crafts. Didn't carry her name, but she did breed it. Um, she bred some really good Airedales. And, but she was just a B-I-T-C-H. I mean, even to her family, she was horrible. So just up the road was a kennel. And it was run by this guy called Frank Brown, who had the most beautiful greyhounds. So we became friends, and the kennel was actually owned by a veterinarian in London um, called Sheila, Sheila Robbins, who um, bred, she probably had the best minpin kennel in England at that time, but she also bred griffs and savage or terriers. She had quite a big, quite a big um, group of dogs that she bred, but she owned this kennel, and Frank said, look, he said, this is miserable. You know, you hate it. Everybody hates, else hates working for her. You're not going to learn a lot working for her. Why did you come and work for me? Well, I said, no, I really want to learn terriers. So I went to work for, anyway, I finally went to work for Sheila. 
I worked there with Frank for a while. She was wonderful. Um, she bought a Cairn, a Lakeland, because she knew I was so interested in, in terriers, and she put me in touch with Betty Barr. But Betty Barr, who was wife of George Barr, a great handler of studies, uh, at that point was pretty old, and she wasn't willing to help me too much. I think she was quite glad to get rid of a couple of dogs. But, but anyway, I did sort of learn on them a little bit, and I did learn terriers, and obviously I knew quite a bit about you know, pulling hair on the cockers as well. So Sheila Humphreys, well, Sheila Robbins later, Sheila sent me to grooming school, and the grooming school was owned by a girl called Anne Chaffee. Anne Chaffee bred Dobermans and Santa Poodles. And so Sheila, she taught me to do all breeds, but I could, it was fairly obvious that I could do terriers, although I couldn't do them very well, I could do terriers and spaniels a hell of a lot better than she could. So in exchange for me helping her with spaniels and, and terriers, she helped me with do, to do show grooming on poodles. So it was a good arrangement. And she was thinking then about relocating it to, to America. And she finally bought a school in Redwood City, California, and begged me to go with her. I didn't, but it set the seed of me wanting to go to the States. And so, um, but getting back to Sheila Robbins, um, I ended up, I ended up um, managing uh, a grooming shop in London and managing um, a veterinary hospital in London as well. So that worked out pretty well for a while. Um, uh, I can't remember what ha happened next, but um, in the when you say you want to know everything, um, <laughs> chronologically, it's sort of hard to tell. For a while, I did sort of, after all that, um, I did leave the, I started grooming on my own, I think. And then I did leave the, the dogs for a little while and went to work in London for the civil service at night. And this was sort of interesting because I met, through my work, I met this guy in Germany and he wanted me to go to run his kennel of English Cockers and Dalmatians in Hamburg. So for, I did that for a bit. Um, but that wasn't too successful. He wasn't um, he wasn't too thrilled when I started winning with these dogs. I don't quite understand why, but the Germans are, I don't want to offend anybody because I have a lot of German friends, but the, the Germans are not particularly secure. And he wanted me to manage his kennel, but when I got started to get results with his cockers, and we took some good cockers to him, um, he became rather resentful that he hadn't done this himself. So he was a bit stupid. So... Yeah. I did leave. I did leave, and um, finally went. I mean, after all, I think I was there a good year or so. I loved it, but it just doesn't going to work out. So then I went back to England, and um, I um, I just started my own business again. But some friends that were also in dogs in, in basically English cockers were going to go to the states on a charter flight. So I said, "Oh, fabulous!" It was to Los Angeles. So it was just sort of a, a dream of mine to see California. Well, one of them backed out, and on a charter flight, you book so many seats. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of them backed out, and they said, well, do you want to go? And I said, well, sure. So uh, I 
I um, I came to California as a as a um, you know just a vacation. Yeah, yeah, the tourists. I really fell in love with. But by this time, I really got involved with Margaret Barnes, who had um, the Suntop English Setters, and she and I became great friends. And I handled a lot of her dogs, and um, she'd give me this beautiful orange bitch. Well, this time I'm 21, and she'd give me this beautiful orange bitch that that she bred as a baby. And I said, "Oh, I just love this orange bitch." She said, "Well." Okay, it's your 21st birthday present. So she gave me this bitch, and she really did well and, and became a champion. And then um, she won a group under Judy Kassenbrook, who was one of the greatest judges, I think, that we had in England. Um, and I also co-owned another couple of dogs with her. So we had some, some nice experiences with the English setters with Margaret. And uh, it was... Um, but anyway, going back, I, I sort of had this hankering then that I went to California. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought um, this is where I wouldn't, wouldn't mind going. I knew I could make a living. So you're around 21 at this point? No, I mean, it was a bit later than that. I can't remember when I came. Well, I came in 76, and I was born in, born in 45, so you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> so I was about, yeah, so I was about 30. So... Um, I came, and it really didn't occur to me, really, it didn't occur to me to do show dogs. It, it just sort of occurred to me that I can make a good living grooming dogs. So I, I came by myself with not very much money, and uh, I, um, I went to this grooming shop in California, and I said, they said a groomer wanted, and I I said, well, I'd like to apply, and I think I'm a pretty good groomer, but, you know, there's certain things I don't know. I don't know what a cockapoo is. I don't know some of the breeds that, that you have here, which I wasn't familiar with. This is before doodles, but we had cockapoos and yeah. terrypoos and shizupoos, and I didn't know about these things. So she said, well, I tell you what, um, I'm going to send you to my daughter, and she can tell me if you're any good. And uh, then we'll take it from there. So I went to see this girl at this shop called Love on a Leash in Beverly Hills. And it was run by a gal named Sherry. Well, Sherry and I immediately hit it off. We just had the best relationship. She taught me so much about pet grooming. And it ended up that she and her mother in the other shop, they shared me. I would work for a few days with one and a few days with the other. And really, it was it was wonderful. I, I did that for a while. Um, and then I, I don't know, I um, still sort of had this hankering for terriers that I really would like to do them. I wasn't going to do them. I had to do them as well as anybody else. I didn't want to do them half-assed. Right. So, um, so it turned out that... Um, no, sorry, go back a little bit, a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm trying to get it all crammed in. At my age, <laughs> remembering everything is not very easy. But You're doing but, great. <laughs> but to go back a little bit, um, Joe Waterman okay. he just needed someone to help. And so I went to 
work with Joe on the weekends. And um, I don't know how I did it because I worked during the week for these other two ladies. And, um, and then on a Friday night, we would leave and go to dog shows. And of course, um, we'd have to do a lot of driving in California, either up or down or Vegas or Arizona or not. So anyway, I managed it. And I really quite liked the American scene of dog showing. You know, I, I had to learn a lot very, very quickly. I mean, he would stick me with a, a shih tzu and a knitting needle. And I thought, what the hell do I do with that? You know, so I had to sort of make this line down the middle of his back and and then you should, you should see me trying to do a top knot. I mean, to keep the dog flat and to try and get a top knot. So I would run around as fast as I can, getting all these gay guys to please come and help me do these, to do these <laughs> top knots. And they would do it in, of course, in seconds. And um, so then Joe thought I was just wonderful. So we had all these dogs ready. <laughs> but it did, it really was great. I learned to do Bedlingtons, Bichons. Um, you know, we had long dogs. We had minpins, shizus, uh, springers. Um, it was great. It was really good. Except that, you know, Joe, I, I don't know, he didn't communicate with me very well. Joe loved women. And I can say that quite openly, and I don't think he would mind me saying <laughs> Joe was not a man's man. He didn't particularly like men. So we would drive up and down all these coasts to dog shows and back again. And I would say, did you see that great chair? Did you see that springer today? Yeah. And that's all I would get. And it really frustrated the hell of me because I'm a talker. Yeah. And so and so we, I, I just sort of got frustrated. And Pauline, his wife, and I got on so well. And she said, well, don't, you know, you don't, you don't need to do terriers. You can just do the whole thing and just stay with us and learn the whole thing. I said, no, I really want to, I really want to do terriers. She said, well, that's fine. Do terriers just in case you are a handler and you ever get a good one. So I said, fine. So at that point, then I heard that Rick, Julian needed someone. How long were you with Joe and Pauline? No, it's hard to tell. I was there a while, you know, for maybe, maybe a year, maybe nine months, maybe a year. And um, turned out that the lady next door to Joe, this lady that read miniature schnauzers, she had a little house and um, with a little kennel and um, I had a couple of my own dogs, and so I, I lived next door to Joe. So I would drive to Beverly Hills and uh, go to work, but, but I lived right next door to Joe. So when we would go to dog show, I was right there. That worked out. Yeah, it worked out very well. Mm -hmm. so, then, um, so then Rick um, did have a, um, an opportunity, and I did go to work for Rick. And... That was amazing. Um, Rick was uh, the greatest guy, um, and I just adored him. But he got me stuck on the statues a lot. I'm pretty artistic, and I, I, I enjoy painting, and I enjoy working with different mediums. And, uh, he realized that and he had me on these statues, which was really not what I was employed for. So um, and we had some great dogs at that time. We had Sorbus the Airedale, we had a great Smooth, we had a great Welsh, we had some really, really good dogs there. And um, I was on the dogs, but not all the time. And I wanted to learn these dogs. And Rick, is, Rick was a great teacher. He really was. So, But he was thrilled because I was doing all this work on the statues. So, 
for some reason I went to England. I think I went to England to judge something. So I went to England and um, I got in this huge order. Huge. Well, at that time it was huge. And um, so I called him and I said, I've got this big order for you. There was a big distributor in England and they were very, very keen to get stuff. And what he was just beside himself, terribly thrilled. And he said, oh, wonderful one, kid. Whatever you want, kid. Um, I said, look, what I want is to get on the dogs. Oh, yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want. I said, no. He was married at that time to Sandy. And I said, put Sandy on the phone. I said, I want a witness. So she comes on the phone. I said, Sandy, I want you to witness this. I want to get on the dogs when I come back. And she said, okay, as far as I know, that's a promise. So she, so I had a witness. And um, when I came back, I did get on the dogs a lot more. But he was still, I felt that at that point, I felt that Rick was really more interested in the statues than the dogs. And I don't know if that, I felt it was a progression, but I felt that his heart wasn't in the dogs as much as it was in the statue. I think that was a mistake now because he wanted me to go with him to New Orleans. I said, no, I don't want to go to New Orleans. I said, I've just come to California. I haven't been in California that long. I'm just getting to know things. I said, and I said, it's just not a good idea for me to go with you. That possibly was a big mistake because if you remember, when he got there, he took on Fitz, Fitz Fitzpatrick, who went, yeah. Best in show at Montgomery with the head. Well, so in hindsight, it could have been a mistake. But on the other hand, I think my progression went better because I had no credit. Everything I did was to deal in cash. And if you come to this country, having no credit is worse than having bad credit. And I would go to J.C. Penney and say, I want to buy um, a boombox for $50. I'm willing to give you $30. Will you put the rest on credit? No. I had no credit. I couldn't even borrow $25. So when Rick left, there was a girl called Gail Ferguson um, working for him. And she was offered this job by this veterinarian grooming. <clears throat> I'd already bought a, a little wire bitch from a uh, wire horse terry bitch from Gail. So her dog, she had beautiful dogs. They came from Ray Spawn up in Washington. Oh, uh, I remember Ray, yeah. You know, I remember Ray. He yeah. had beautiful headed wires, but gorgeous heads. Yeah. But anyway, um, she had wires built on, on his breeding. And so I bought a bitch from Gail. I <clears throat> messing around with that. And so Gail uh, was offered a job by this veterinarian group in, in Los Angeles, in Glendale, Los Angeles, California. So I said to Gail, are you going to take that job? And she said, oh, I don't know. I said, well, if you're not sure, would you mind if I applied for it? And she said, I'll go for it. So I applied to them for uh, to work, and they were incredible. Dr. Rowe <clears throat> was amazing. He not only had confidence in me, he built a whole grooming area with a raised tub, with a bladder built-in ladder that would go up to the to the tub for large dogs, so nothing had to be lifted. Everything to my specification, 
And I worked for him for a long, long time. And um, was paid very well. We did a very good business. We, we, everything that, that came in, I mean, they recommended that they either had a medicated bath or a, or a regular bath or a, or a haircut or something. And we really had a good business. So business-wise, I think this, was, this turned out to be a good idea because now I had some cash. A good friend of mine needed cash to buy another house. So I had the cash. So I put up this money on a couple of little houses that he, that he owned. And he carried the note for me so that he had the cash to put down on another house. So I gave him the cash. He carried the note for the rest of the loan. And so suddenly I owned a house. I had suddenly had credit. Right. Which was which was great, a great way for me to go. So I think really that was probably a very good step for me to take. Suddenly I had two houses. I lived in one, I rented out the other one. Um <clears throat> I had a good job and my little cocker spaniel. I think I had a carrot as well, but I can't remember. But anyway, the cat the, the, the bitch came into season, and Woody had this beautiful dog. Well, he wasn't great behind, but he was really beautiful everywhere else. He had beautiful hair, beautiful front end, called True Coat Admiral. And he was a really good dog. Well, my bitch had a good ass end. So I said, Woody, I said, would you mind if I bred my bitch to Admiral? And he says, you know what? You know, you have talent. And you're wasting yourself doing pet grooming. Well, of course, I thought that was true at the time not realizing it was BS because nobody can get help yet, can they? I mean, everybody needs help. Woody needed help. And <laughs> I think that, that I had talent going to work for Woody after people like um, Robert Milano, Peter Atkinson, R.C. Carusi. Now he's telling me I've got talent. Well, I believed it at the time. So I said, <laughs> I said, oh, maybe I should do that. So by this time, um, I've been going out with Sue for quite a while. Sue was managing editor of Kennel Review. Oh, okay. And she was very famous, and so she, she and I met a lot of people um, through Kennel Review, and I was, I'd already got to know a lot of people in the show world. And so we we got married at, at, at the end of my term with, with the vet and my beginning of time with Woody. Woody had a house on the property that we could live in. So we got married and we moved in to Woody's. I was there for four years. And at the end of four years, um, we left. And um, he wanted to sell his kennel, but I couldn't possibly afford it. And um, I mean, we're talking a lot of money then. And this is years and years and years ago. So uh, we moved east, thinking that um, we could get a lot more real estate, you know, for, for our do dollar, you know. Sure. And that's why we moved east. And um, thinking about it now, I think probably, uh, uh, you know, because of the age thing, I think I was sort of a bit um, worn out. Um, and uh, I probably, sh if I was younger, I probably should have worked for someone like Cliff or Peter on the East Coast, because the East Coast is very traditional. 
And I moved to the East Coast thinking, well, you know, I work for Woody and I work for Rick. I'm suddenly going to have 30 clients on, uh, and I'm going to. <laughs> and I'm going to be unstoppable. Well, that that wasn't quite the case, but I did have some nice people to show dogs for, and I and I got off to a good start. And we had a boarding kennel, we had grooming, we had, uh, and you know, we had several uh, terriers that we bred. And um, so I did that for a while, and then I met um, well through the Welsh terriers. Um, I met Elizabeth Lehman, and she turned out to be the most incredible client. Um, and we. I pretty much showed for her in the end. And I and she was just wonderful. I could do whatever I wanted. I could, I could not go to shows if I didn't want to. I could go to shows if I wanted to. I could go wherever I wanted to. The only thing is she would not advertise. She was not interested in specialing dogs. She just wanted, I had to go to the specialties. And we had and we did that and, and she was very happy. Um, that's pretty much what I did in the end. And, the, and in the end, I said to her, I think I would like, to, to judge. Oh, she thought that was a great idea. And I said, well, you know, that means if, if I'm asked to judge Montgomery, that means we can't show the dogs. Oh, then don't worry about that. That'll be great. She was wonderful. And um, so then I started to judge. And then we did. What, what year was that? Sorry to interrupt, Richard. What year was that you started judging? I don't know. It's probably about 20 years ago. Okay. You're asking me for these things. I'm not prepared for these dates, but um, it was, I think it's 20 years. It's 20 years ago because. Um, I, I did look it up recently to to, uh, to see. So um, uh, they were short of terrier judges, and they were asking people if you're in, if you're really interested, what would you consider? And so I was very lucky. I mean, I, I was very lucky. I got the terrier group, and um, I was interviewed by this wonderful lady called Harriet Borsach, and. I went to her and I said, you know, I, I've been given this group. I don't know some of these breeds. I don't know Skies. I don't know Stafford Jubal Terriers. I don't know some of these breeds. She said, you'll learn. She said, I've watched you since you moved to the East Coast. I know you will learn. She said, I have great confidence in you. She said, I give you one piece of advice. I said, what's that? She said, don't take the last flight. And I said, really? That's it? And we had lunch and that was my interview. I mean, amazing. I can, I can say this now because I'm not going to get a five because she's dead. But, um, but that was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Wow. And so and we, now, and we, what, are you, what are you uh, licensed for now, Richard? I have the Terrier Group, this, the Sporting Group, um, the Toy Group. I have Daxons, Poodles, and eight working groups. Yeah. Are, you gonna, are you going for more? Well, just slowly. I'm not, I'm really have not hurried it. I think that I've tried to learn these things. As I've gone, you know, I've had I've had a lot to do with with um, the sporting group. I had a lot to do with the toy group. We had we did breed um, peaks. We bred especially winning peak. We, we I've had I owned a really good chin in England. Um, I worked for Sheila who had the min pins. So yeah, I've been I was involved with um, with uh, the, the toy group. So I had no problem taking the, getting those three groups. And Michael Dackel, I said, was a great, he was probably my best, my biggest mentor was Michael. I mean, he helped how me. Did, how did you meet Michael? I have no idea. I, I think, well, actually, I, I, I think, I think it was on the, 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 the Yukonuba weekend when it was held in Long Beach. Okay. And for some reason, I, I can't remember how, how we did it, but for some reason, 
he shared my room. And I don't know quite how that happened. <laughs> I'm, going back. I'm going back many, many years ago, but he suddenly said, I haven't got a room. I, I, I need a room. And I said, well, I've got two beds. I said, I have no problem with me. So he moved in and he was just the best person. He was absolutely fascinating to me because we both were, you know, we had similar backgrounds. We were both long-term assistants. You know, um, I worked for, I think, really good people. He worked, obviously, for Bill Trainer and some other really good people. So, I mean, really, we had a lot in common. And so I think he felt this very closeness to me. And we would talk for hours. If I put up a poodle somewhere, I would immediately call him. And he would tell me that, oh, I hated that dog. <laughs> and, then we, and, and then we could discuss it. You know, we talked about English sentence. I learned so much about English sentence from him. And this is my breed. Yeah. I mean, he was just wonderful. And um, I missed him terribly. Um, so how did I get on to Michael? Where was I before I got to Michael? <laughs> you, you said Michael was one of your your greatest mentors. Then I just asked you how you you met Michael and went from there. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, how did I, how did I get judging on at this point? Yeah, judging. Yeah, I think he was he was very very helpful to me in, in judging. I think that um, I mean he pushed me to do the sporting group. I said, well, I don't know a lot of these dogs. I you know I don't know some of these breeds. I don't I don't really even think I want to. And he said, no, you do. You're going to do the sporting group. You have to do the sporting group. So he pushed me to do that. And then um, when I got that, I enjoyed it. But I knew I would always enjoy the toys. I knew, I knew it. I mean, I knew I would enjoy certain aspects of the sporting group, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if I would enjoy some of the breeds. And that's, I feel the same way. Um, I mean, I think I love all the toy breeds. I, I really love the toy group. Um, I don't know. I think I feel similar, similarly about the working group. I just don't think I would like all of them. So far, I have the pretty breeds, the Dobermans and Boxes, and, and uh, the breeds that I really like, I have I have those. And, and I'm, at this point, I just want to judge extra breeds that I that I like. But mm. I think it's also very good for me at my age to do more and more because it's, it's a study, it's a test. I mean, it's not very, not very hard, but you still got to study for them, and you still got to remember things in your interviews and and so you've got to put that across that you have some sort of knowledge in, in, in these matters. So I think that's a good thing for me to do. You know, I'm not a great reader, so it's a good idea to, to, to do more and more breeds. But I just really am now doing the breeds that I really want to do. I, I was in Mexico a few months ago, and I did Frenchies and Bulldogs. Well, I'm, I'm sure I screwed them up, but um, I, I enjoyed them. Um, I actually, I don't think I totally screwed them up because I think everybody every day we did the same sort of things. But uh, afterwards, we talked about it. But, but I did enjoy Frenchies and Bulldogs a lot. It was 70 Bulldogs, I think, and probably 50 Frenchies. And um, although I've been to seminars on both, still doing that, getting your feet wet is very different from a seminar. So I enjoyed that a lot, and I would like to do those two breeds. I'd love to do beagles. I've had a lot to do with greyhounds, and I'd love to do whippers. So a few breeds that, yeah, I'd like to do a few more breeds. But, um, you know, I go, if I go once a month, I'm thrilled. I don't want to go every every week. I just don't want to do that. Right. So I, I, I'm passionate about it. I get excited before we're going. I'm leaving tomorrow for two shows in, in New York State. Not quite excited about it. It's a little show, but... Hopefully there'll be something there that I can really get my teeth in, you know. Sure. And uh, 
So I still like it, but um, I don't want to go every week. This year I did. Like in, in June, I was there and then there and then there and then there. And then, <laughs> and then it was the garden. And my poor, my poor garden, you know, the grass and the weeds and, and it just took over. And I said to my wife, don't let me do this next year. I don't want to do it. I just want to have one show a month. I mean, I could, I could concentrate on what's going on here. You know, we have an acre and a half to look after. That's a lot. It's a lot of work, I know. I'm the same way here. I've been so busy. I've, I haven't. I had to hire someone to cut my grass last time because I hadn't been home. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I haven't got your sort of money, so I've got to be. <laughs> I have to do yeah. it myself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I, since you are both hats, I'm going to ask you two questions. If someone came to you and said they wanted to be a handler, what what advice would you give them? Finish college. <laughs> Go to business school and then work for the best handler you can find in the breed that you're interested in or the group that you're interested in. You've got to have a business sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. You cannot get into a van and walk in the ring and think you're a handler. You've got to know, first of all, how to conduct your money that comes in every month. You've got to make it work. Secondly, you've got to know how to take care of dogs. If you're on the road and one gets sick, you've got to know how to take care of them. You've got to work for people that know that. You've got to go to a handler that not only show you the fine intricacies of trimming that breed, those breeds, but also how to look after dogs. That's the most important thing. Yeah, it really is. But first, get your education. If you decide that you're not going to make it as a handler or you decide that you don't want to go every weekend and into into each week being a handler you can always go back on whatever you just went to college for if you decide you go to college and you want to do architecture well you can always fall back on that right dog shows will always be there we hope so yeah that's what and that's what i instilled in my kids and they're both very successful thank god but i see young people not enough but i see young people coming into this business and just grabbing a lead and thinking that they're a star well You've got to learn the basics. You know that. And I know that. It's very important that we know how to conduct ourselves properly, how to save our money and and have health insurance. So many people, great handlers, no names mentioned, but they ended up with nothing because they're paying out because they have no health insurance. Well, we're all going to get old. We're all going to have things go wrong. We need health insurance. I'm lucky. I married. I married a nurse, and she's got. She became a nurse just so that we can get health insurance, and she's a great nurse. So I'm lucky, and she's also 12 years younger than I am. So I'm going to be looked after. <laughs> okay. Second question, Richard. What advice would you give for a young judge? Or a new judge, not necessarily a young judge. I'm a new judge. You know, Annie Clark said she learned an awful lot from judging dairy cattle. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a very good idea to go to a big sheep show or a big cattle show and look at those animals and then afterwards listen to what the judges say and how they came to those conclusions and see if you can figure it out. Because... If you can't, then you don't have an eye. And if you don't have an eye, you can't make a good judge. But if you have a good good eye, 
you have a little bit of artistic interpretation, you could be a really good judge. But you need the eye. And I think that, to me, it's fascinating. If I go to a sheep show and I can watch, and I can think, well, that one's got that, and that one's got that, I wonder if he'll come to the same conclusion. And if they do, and then they give their reasoning, which they do, I mean, I wish we could, but I give critiques as to why we did something, why we did um, I think then you can learn an awful lot. And as I said, Mrs. Clark had this book, and I think it's called The Techniques of Judging Dairy Cow. Yes, I think I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a great book. Hmm. That's uh, that's interesting. I might I might do that. I know I know some some sheep breeders. So I, maybe I'll ask them about that. That's interesting. Well, the judging, uh, you know, um, the judging at um, at um, sheep shows, um, they have to explain why they did things, and um, they have a microphone. And they stand there. They say this one, this one, this one. They don't say this one's unlucky to meet this one today. No, they say why it's and that's so interesting. And I think really, if we had to ask half of the judges today to explain why they did something. Yeah. Well, I saw this picture in Canine Chronicle last week. Yeah, I'm not sure you want to ask them or wait for the but, answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to have reasons. You've got to have, you, you know, you've got to have a background. I, um, you've got to have a background, I think. We used to have great backgrounds in husbandry, livestock. Now it's different. And I'm not saying we can't have good judges anymore because we obviously have some good judges. But I think you've got to learn the basics of construction. I agree. Ed, Ed Biven told me that Maxine Beam told him construction on poodles and Annie Clark told him pretty. So you put the two together and you have a good judge. It makes sense. I have one more question for you, Richard. <laughs> if you were to meet the 20-year-old Richard now, is there any advice you'd give him? Yes. I would have I would have uh, got into serious dogs, serious a lot sooner. I would have come here much sooner. Yeah. Um, I think it sounds like your background in England prepared you for here. So. Yeah, I think it did prepare me for it. But I think when I finally, finally got it done with Woody, I think I was at the age where I thought, I can't, I can't do this again. But I think when I, when I came to the East Coast, if I'd have been with Peter for six, seven months, then I would have been able to show the people that I was ready for it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was important on the East Coast. I think California, I don't think it would have mattered, but the, English, the East Coast is very traditional. Um, and so you had to be established. Yeah, I get that. It's almost like we, I was talking to Wayne this morning about that, a different aspect of that, but it's kind of the Mecca, if you think about it. It's like, it's there was so much concentration of dog talent in the, on the East Coast that you couldn't cross the street without meeting somebody that could teach you something, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah. Well, thank well, you. Richard. When I first started, I mean, we had Peter and Cliff and Gunther and 
I mean, there was a lot of talent on the on the on the West Coast, you know, as well. We had Clay and Eddie and Woody and yeah, and, and Bob Jordan and, and um, Mark and um, and um, oh, oh, Celium's Irish Terrier's um, friend of mine. I can't think of his name. Um, Danny Sackos. Danny Sackos. Yeah, we had yeah. some great, great. And he was he's amazing, Danny Sackos. Oh yeah, a lot of lot of talent and. and yeah. And we still have. I mean, you know, with, the, with the younger crowd that's out there now, we still have. But um, yeah, it was it was tough then. To, yeah, to work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Richard. I'm glad you put this. In. I'm glad this finally happened. It was fascinating. I loved hearing all that. So. Well, I hope I got everything in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to tell you you're wrong? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, most of the people in it. And I talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Richard. Take care. I think you're doing a, nice, a nice job. I especially my favorites with Wayne Kavanaugh and Kenny. Okay. <laughs> oh, Kenny Murray. Yeah. Kenny Murray. I think he's. His memory was incredible. Oh, I know, isn't it? That's incredible. He can remember. <laughs> it's just amazing. You can talk about, especially centers. You can talk about any center, and he can he tell does. you every pedigree. He goes one off the other. Just yeah. remember all these things. I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it is. That was especially fascinating, and, and the one with Wayne, of course, too. So thanks. Well, thank you, Richard. Take care. Thank you, Richard. That was great. It's great to catch up with you. You, you look fabulous in New York, and uh, it was a very interesting story. I really appreciate your time. If you like what you see here, make sure you press the like, share, and subscribe button. And if you want to hear from me, go to dogshowtips at gmail.com. Or if you just want to find out what's happening in Will's world, go to willalexander.net. Until next time, guys, take care.